0: Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha.
1: And I'm Paddy. In this episode, we will take a look at what could have been the very first episode of Doctor Who, and that is the unaired pilot or the first filming run of An Unearthly Child. Later,
0: we'll talk about some trivia and behind the scenes information about this episode, as well as discussing the first look at the Doctor and his companions. But before all that, I'll hand over to Paddy for the story recap.
1: Thanks, Trish. Okay guys, so let's start off with episode 0 as we've turned it, the pilot for an unearthly child. A policeman is doing his rounds and passes by the entrance to I.M. Foreman's scrapyard. The camera pans past them into the yard and we see a collection of odds and ends, including an old-fashioned police call box. We now cut to Cold Hill School, where history teacher Barbara Wright goes to speak to science teacher Ian Chesterton about one of their mutual students, Susan Foreman. Susan appears to be both a prodigy and an oddity for both teachers. Barbara mentions that she broached the subject of giving advanced tutoring to Susan at her home, only to be told her grandfather does not like strangers. Ian thinks that this is an unusual excuse, as Susan has said that he is a doctor. Barbara said that she got Susan's home address with the intention of meeting her grandfather to address the apparent slip in Susan's homework, only to discover it is actually at the scrapyard we saw earlier. Ian finds the whole scenario bizarre, but agrees to accompany Barbara on her investigations. We get our first glimpse of Susan, listening to music in the classroom on a small transistor radio. It seems that Barbara's concerns are well-founded as Susan seems to take an almost otherworldly interest in everyday occurrences like Walking in the Fog and English rock music. The teachers depart and Susan begins an ink inkblot which seems to distress her. We now cut to Ian and Barbara in a car waiting for Susan to return to her home. They discuss more of Susan's odd behaviour, such as believing the UK were on the decimal system for their currency, only to state that it actually hasn't happened yet, or when she seems to have an advanced scientific knowledge beyond the scope of Ian. They witness Susan arrive at the scrapyard behaving oddly, almost like she felt she was afraid of being followed. After she goes in, Ian and Barbara go after her. They find no sign of her in the scrapyard, which is unusual as there was only one way in and one way out. Barbara finds the police box and Ian marvels at the fact that it seems to be vibrating, as if an electrical charge was running through it. Suddenly they hear coughing from the entranceway and hide as an elderly man makes his way towards the police box. Susan's voice calls out from the police box, and Barbara reacts to it, alerting the old man to their presence. Ian goes out to question him about Susan's whereabouts, but he acts suspiciously, questioning if they actually saw saw her come in at all. Ian demands that he opens the box so he can see if Susan is okay, and if he doesn't, he will then call for the police. The old man refuses and once again questions the validity of their suspicions, and tells them to go find a policeman so that he can prove Susan is not there. As they leave, Susan opens the door and calls out for her grandfather. He orders her to shut the door, but Ian holds him and tells Barbara to rescue Susan. Barbara enters the police box, only to discover it is much larger on the inside and seems to be of a highly advanced technological design. Ian and Susan's grandfather follow after her, and and the old man begins to berate Susan for causing the intrusion because of her desire to go to school. Ian is completely baffled by his surroundings, but the old man refuses to elaborate and demands that they leave his ship. Susan announces that the ship has a name. She calls it the TARDIS, an acronym for Time and Relative Dimensions in Space, and indicates it's capable of going anywhere and any when. The old man announces that they are wanderers, cut her from their own planet and people. Susan begs her grandfather to let them go, but he refuses. Barbara can still not believe that this is real, and as both Susan and her grandfather look as human as they do. She and Ian try to leave, but the doors remain locked. Ian demands to they be let go from this trick, and again... The old man iterates that it is not a trick, but a science far greater than anything Ian or any other scientist can comprehend. Ian tries to open the doors via the console at the center of the room, but the old man touches a button that causes Ian to receive an electric shock. Susan again begs her grandfather to let Ian and Barbara go, but he refuses, telling her he can't risk them exposing the secrets of the TARDIS. He indicates that he will dispose of them to protect his and Susan's secrets. His paranoia is further fueled when he misinterprets Barbara's protests and desire to learn more about the TARDIS, and he goes to activate the console. Ian struggles with him, which causes the TARDIS to take off. We see the TARDIS travel through the void of time and space, and land on a sandy, desolated hill. Inside the TARDIS, both Ian and Barbara have passed out due to the strain, whereas Susan and her grandfather are unaffected. Outside, a shadow approaches the TARDIS. Now that that's the summary out of the way of it, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand you over to Trisha to go over some trivia and behind the scenes. Over to you, Trish.
0: Thanks, buddy. So Doctor Who was created by Sydney Newman back in the nineteen sixties to fill an open time slot on Saturday evenings between the Grandstand and Jukebox Jury, uh, sports and music show, respectively. Though considered a children's programme, it was not actually made by the children's department within the BBC and was instead made by the drama department. According to Verity Lambert, this created some tension between the departments at the BBC because it was sort of felt that anything that was designed for children should be made by children's programming, not by drama. Though often referred to as the pilot, to differentiate between the version of the episode that was aired, technically this isn't a pilot although Paddy and I will continue to call it the pilot, because BBC didn't do pilots back in the 1960s. This is just an alternative version that was never aired. An Unearthly Child was written by Anthony Coburn. He created four full serials for Doctor Who, including An Unearthly Child, The Masters of Luxor, which was never filmed, but was later released by Target Books and then adapted by Big Finish Productions. He also created two other serials, but they were never filmed and we don't know any details about them. He passed away in 1977 after having a heart attack while producing the second series of the BBC period drama Poldark. This episode was directed by Wars Hussein. He also directed most of the fourth Doctor Who serial Marco Polo. So we'll talk about him more when we get to that. Doctor Who's first two seasons were produced by Verity Lambert. Now Verity is to most people considered the mother of Doctor Who given her role at getting it off the ground at the beginning. Before moving to the BBC in 1963, Verity worked for ABC, which is where she met Sydney in the first place. While she was not Sydney's first choice for producer, his first two had turned him down, he knew of her work and was very keen for her to take the job. When she took the role, she was the BBC's only female drama producer, as well as the youngest. Verity would go on to produce, as I said, the first two seasons of Doctor Who before leaving the show in 1965. When we get to her last story, we'll take a look back at Verity's contributions to Who and how she has been recognised in the last few years. The pilot introduces us to our main cast, where we have William Hartnell as Dr. Foreman slash Susan's grandfather. We don't actually hear him referred to as the Doctor, which is why Paddy didn't do it in his story summary. We have Caroline Ford as Susan, Jacqueline Hill as Barbara Wright, and William Russell as Ian Chesterton. We'll talk more about our cast as we move forward with the first season. There are actually five different versions or cuts of this pilot episode available in some way shape or form which can make it difficult to identify which one people are talking about. So much so that when preparing for this episode I watched the wrong one and I had to go back and watch it again. The edit we are reviewing is the 24-minute version that appears on the 2006 DVD release of An Unearthly Child. This is accessible in the episode selection screen on the DVD, and is not to be confused with the 35-minute studio recording, which is on the same DVD and can be found in the special features menu, and was the one I watched by accident.
1: It's like we were reviewing Blade Runner or something, like all the different cuts available.
0: Yeah, well, the reason for the different cuts is because they had several versions of what happened when Ian and Barbara went into the TARDIS. They had a couple of different takes that they could play around with. And so different cuts use different takes. The 35-minute cut that I watched first uses a different take, where William Hartnell nearly strangles himself with his scarf, to the version that ended up in the 24-minute cut that you and I watched. The 24-minute one, though, is the one most people refer to. When talking about the pilot, hence why when making the DVD, BBC put that in the episode selection screen and not as a special feature. Okay. Keen fans will also be able to tell that there's a slightly different version of the Doctor Who theme used in the pilot episode. It includes a thunderclap at the beginning that we never hear again. So why was this not the version that made the screen is probably the piece of trivia most people want to know about. After viewing the original pilot, Sydney Newman said that it needed to be remade and he has in fact described it as the worst piece of work he had seen in a long time. The reasons he cited are technical issues and character presentation. During the initial recording, there were a number of technical issues on set, including doors not working properly, lightning not being right, jerky camera movements and more. Also, there were a number of flubbed lines of dialogue. Though most of these have been removed from the 24 minute edit, there are still some that are in there. From a character perspective, the two characters that were overhauled were Susan and the Doctor himself. Susan was made a little bit less alien, so she could be more related to by the children in the audience, as she was meant to be their representation in the TARDIS. And also the Doctor, who, to put it mildly, was made more likeable.
1: Very mildly.
0: And that's it for trivia.
1: Interesting. Lots of kind of cool stuff there in terms of um, the, yeah, the, the fact that there was no such thing as pilots, yet this essentially is a pilot because sydney newman was determined to get it off the ground and so was very glamorous as well it just kind of makes you wonder like what could not have been you know
0: yeah and i'll get into that a little bit more at least in our discussion of the doctor but watching this it's hard to imagine it getting to where it is now
1: yes So yeah, how about we start discussing the characters now?
0: Cool. So we'll start off, as we mean to go forward, with the Doctor himself. The Doctor in this version is quite different from what we end up seeing in the episode that aired. He's very abrasive and argumentative. And the way he treats Ian and Barbara is hostile from the outset. This is just not a nice man to interact with. (laughs) Like, If you were to bump into him, you would just think that he's a cantankerous old fart basically (laughs) Um, his attitude towards susan is also very jarring and in many ways it's actually very difficult to watch he blames her entirely for the situation and he actually calls her stupid girl which kind of shook me the first time i saw it you know i'm coming into this having watched new who and at the time when I very first watched this episode, what, 10 years ago at this point, I had watched a number of other Doctor Who episodes from the classic series. So to hear him calling someone a stupid girl and to be so angry and abrasive, it's a bit of a shock to the system. <laughs> because you're like, that, that's not the Doctor. Who are
1: you? And it's not even just the fact that he's berating someone. It's ber- He's berating his own grandchild.
0: <laughs> yeah, and like, the way she pleads with him later like she's begging and pleading she's saying she won't complain about words they go next she promises it sort of gives the suggestion at least to me that this is maybe a bit of like a mentally abusive relationship and it certainly doesn't come across as a loving relationship
1: no it's it comes across as a very His rules are sacrosanct. And if you kind of break those rules, then you're going to be punished severely.
0: Yeah. And I don't know if they on the first run through, maybe they were trying to go for the grumpy grandpa type of thing. You know, where kids watching this would be like, oh, he's like my granddad or whatever. But if that's what they were going for, I think they massively overshot the mark.
1: Oh, huge. Hugely overshot it because... There's nothing really redeeming about the doctor in like in this entire thing that he first when you first int- introduced him he's very suspicious and he's very sinister and he you know he treats Ian and Barbara like crap and then when we uh, see his interactions with Susan again it's you know berating and very authoritarian and again like in that se- sequence where he uses the control console to shock Ian. It's m- malicious the way he does it.
0: Yeah, and he's kind of like a child who someone has upset the balance and so he's just lashing out. And this idea of like vindictively setting the wire or the whatever it was, the button or whatever, to being live to electrocute Ian, it it was done to hurt him. Yeah. And that that is so hard to balance with what we know this man will later become like in one part of the episode i can't remember if it was when ian and barbara were trying to get out of the tardis or if it was when he set the tardis into motion he gives this evil sinister laugh
1: i think it might be as they're trying to get out
0: yeah and i was just like what who is this do you know and it's interesting because that wasn't what Sidney Newman imagined for the character, and I can completely understand why they made why he made them redo it. Mm. it he wanted them to be a father figure, and without any other modifiers, when you think father figure, you generally consider loving, kind, supportive.
1: Yeah, like strict, strict when necessary, strict when necessary, but absolutely not this. No, not at all.
0: Yeah, and the one thing that I considered when I was watching this so going forward we're obviously going to be talking about the doctor the companions and the villains and as this is the sort of preliminary episode we don't have a villain per se but in this episode the doctor is the villain yeah and that that's a bit of a shock to the system
1: yeah it is it is because when you're when you first hear about doctor who like, say, from a friend or, or a relative or someone else that has watched it before. And you make the decision to go back to the very start. And if this is the first thing you see, it's a case of, Jesus, what did it take for him to get from this to that? And I'm really glad, as you said, like that order ordered the reshoot because the transition then is a lot more understandable.
0: Yeah, like, I don't see how they could have taken... The man we saw in this unaired pilot to the man that we see even two or three serials down the line. They are so completely different. And it would take a massive leap of faith to understand how it got from, or leap of logic rather. It would take a massive leap of logic to understand how it got from one point to the other. And it's a bit distressing because this isn't who he was meant to be. The reason why I'm so glad they reshot it is this show is called Doctor Who, which implies that the Doctor is the protagonist. Yes. You cannot get behind this Doctor as the protagonist. It just doesn't work. No one wants to watch the adventures of a cantankerous old fart who's evil and vindictive with everybody around him.
1: Absolutely. And like, if this had been the one that had gone to to shoot if this is gone to air you again you just wonder like would the cultural impact with the phenomenon have lasted an entire season
0: i don't think so i generally don't so that was the doctor who's quite different the other character who i mentioned in the trivia was changed a lot was susan my first note on susan and for most of the episode this is the only thing i'd written down susan is weird susan is very
1: very weird she's very sinister like there's a sh- shot uh, towards the end where she says i was born in the 49th se- 49th century and she says it with this almost superior attitude and as much as she seems to care for ian and barbara you do get the impression that she still kind of looks down on them
0: yeah, now I do think that care is genuine. Yeah. Do you know, we can see her distress when her grandfather isn't going to let them go. And she, you know, she clearly cares for them, but maybe more so in the way you care for a puppy. Yeah. Than the way you care for a friend.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: One of the things as well is that there's a bit of a sensual nature to her, maybe. Yeah. And some of the looks, you know the way she looks and the way her eyes move it's quite alien which kind of makes sense in terms of the title an unearthly child but it's also a little bit sensual in some ways the way she says some things they're not quite human and they're not really quite the tone and maybe the modulation of her voice isn't really appropriate to the nature of what she's saying if that makes sense
1: she comes across as, I, I completely get what you're saying. Uh, the way that it kind of strikes me is, is that, again, the cliche of the alien seductress that, you know, it kind of tempts the hero a small bit. And yeah, like it just, again, it just felt so off that if your intention was to have Susan be the gateway for the younger generation into the show, it sends a very weird message.
0: Yeah, there's nothing for children to relate to in her, in this iteration, other than she likes music. Yeah. That's really about it. The one thing she did that was super weird, but I liked it, was when she did her raw shock shock test, where she did the little spots of of ink, folded it over, and then drew the hexagon, because it looked like the TARDIS console. And I would have loved to know what they were planning on doing with that, because that bit was actually quite interesting.
1: Yeah, like it's I I thought it was kind of weird the first time I watched it because I couldn't quite make out what it was meant to look like the way that she seemed to bundle her up so fast and it was like what is this just to get across how weird she is or is there a point to it? When I first watched this,
0: like I said 10 years ago or whatever it was that I first watched this episode, I thought it was just a random odd thing that she did. But it was when must have been a number of years ago people were talking about it and i actually realized it looked like the tardis console that she drew the hexagon specifically so that it would look like the tardis console yeah and i said i would love to know where they were planning on going with that and why she got so freaked out i mean was it purely because oh no i can't have anything of the tardis grandfather would kill me for drawing it or what reason
1: there's
0: something i I don't know like I said it's just I found that bit curious and it was the one bit her of her super alienness that I actually quite liked
1: (laughs) it was just so it was just so weird that it it just it felt like someone behind the camera was showing do something weird and that's what she ended up doing but yeah again it would have been interesting to see if it's some sort of maybe telepathic ability that she may have or Like she's in tune with the TARDIS more so than the Doctor would be. Who knows what it could have been.
0: Yeah, very interesting. The Doctor and Susan are the ones that got a bit of a character shift and we'll talk about this more next week when we talk about the episode that actually aired. But the two people who had very little change are our earthly companions Ian Chesterton and Barbara Wright. Now, as this episode is just their introduction and they are humans from the 1960s there isn't an awful lot to get from them (laughs) in 24 minutes no however i did have a few notes um on both of them i'll do ian first the one thing that struck me is ian does not deal well with having his reality or his perception of reality brought into question
1: yeah no he he seems very because he's a science teacher, he seems very bound by what he knows from his own academic learning, and to have something kind of uproot that it's it it is kind of world shattering, a small bit maybe.
0: That's actually the reason why I find it interesting, though, because he's a scientist. Yeah, you'd imagine he'd look at it from a scientific perspective, not be blocked by his scientific perspective. And now maybe this is scientists in the nineteen sixties, but harder to comprehend. What it is he's in, but he is so argumentative about the whole thing when he gets inside that, like, he can't even let it filter into his brain that this could be real. It has to be a trick. There has to be some way that they were doing it. And I'm like, Ian, use your eyes.
1: (laughs) It's there. I think it's actually kind of interesting because, like, you'd have, like, you know, say, if it had been 30 years prior or even 40 years prior. Because there hadn't been a whole lot of outside-of-Earth exploration done in terms of, like, I think the, the first manned mission had uh, into space had gone up. Not a moon landing, but just someone in orbit. And I think science, science was a bit more advanced uh, at that stage. So when they finally went outside of Earth, to have something that completely changed again, what they understood, was very kind of weird. Whereas if it had been, say, 40 years earlier maybe because they hadn't gone that far they could accept a small bit more or maybe that's just my own reading into things I don't know what I
0: find so interesting about it though is it is a bit of a shift from the character we see at the beginning of the episode yeah so he's the way I sort of read him at the beginning is that he's funny (laughs) but not like funny haha but like just naturally funny yeah he's quite relaxed he's someone that you see yourself hanging out
1: with he seems to be very charismatic. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So overall, you know, he's you get a nice impression of him. But then you see him reacting. It's kind of funny to watch his reaction. You're also kind of like, okay, tone it down a little bit. But overall, I think it's a really good introduction to a character in the short amount of time that they had to introduce him. You get to learn a lot about him and the way he is as a person. He's clearly very defensive of people he's willing to jump in arguably with an old man but you know he's willing to jump in and do what's needed yeah and he clearly is happy to take charge when the need arises then we have barbara Wright. again there's not too much to say about barbara particularly in the latter half of the episode because she has less to say while ian is ranting like a bit of a loony Mm. But the one thing I got from Barbara is that she is a very caring person. Yes. You can tell that there is a genuine concern she has for Susan. Even if it's a little bit driven by just curiosity, there is some genuine concern there. And she also comes across, and this is me bringing my own background into into things, she comes across as a very good teacher. Yeah. She recognizes that Susan has a talent for history that it's something that she knows a lot about and that she should specialise it and she offers to help her she gives her a loan of a book she offers to give her extra classes clearly she wants to support her in maybe making history a career or an area of study for you know college or something like that which is lovely to see it's lovely to see a nice character interaction like that and it comes across as so natural when she does it
1: and again, it's the same as Ian. They seem like really good teachers who care about their students in terms of either challenging them academically or even just like looking out for their kind of well-being because he's also one of her teachers and he all, he agrees to go with Barbara, partly, I suppose, out of his own curiosity. But in case there's anything untowards going on.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's great that, you know, we see Barbara doing her due diligence and that... When behaviour started to go a bit strange, her homework started slipping or whatever, she was going to do the responsible thing. She was going to do a home visit. She was going to talk to Susan's grandfather. You know, she didn't... Well, at least we don't see her questioning Susan and being demanding of her. She took what Susan said and she went off. She went to the reception. She got the address and she went over, which I think is all very good. The one thing as well about Barbara... That I think is a good setup for her character going forward. She is more accepting of the reality of the TARDIS than Ian is. She questions it, but not violently or not aggressively. And maybe it's because Ian is being a bit ranty. She has time to think. Yeah. But she's the one who says, but what if it is real?
1: That's true. But I suppose that she she also kind of goes... Um... I th- there's there's one point there where it's almost like she's trying to deprogram Susan because like, she said like you, know, you're, you and your grandfather look as human as I and Ian do. And like ex- maybe yeah accepting of their s- surroundings, but maybe not the whole scenario, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think when presented with information, she's taking what she's given, she's filing it away, and she's seeing what could be possible rather than immediately writing everything off i mean she understandably is like susan this must be a game or you know this can't be real but when susan confirms it barbara sort of you see her take that information and then later she's the one who says to ian but what if it is real Do you know she doesn't rant in in quite the same way ian does she questions it but at a rational level yeah one of the things I love from this first interaction is that we can tell that Ian and Barbara have a good friendship. Yes. And that is the one thing that you can see right off the bat. They're comfortable with each other and we can imagine that her popping into his lab at the end of the day for a catch-up, him offering her a lift home, it's nothing out of the ordinary.
1: No, they it, it, it just come across as good work colleagues. Like, as to what their relationship may be outside of the classroom you don't know but they definitely seem to be like just really good work chums
0: yeah and they trust each other as well you know while a lot of it is driven by curiosity and ian is the one who says this they have students who their work is a lot worse than susan's and they've seen bigger slips from other students in terms of the homework and stuff but he does believe barbara he questions her as he should are you sure you got the right address Maybe Susan's just meeting a boy. You know, he questions her, but he doesn't tell her that she's being silly or that she's blowing things out of proportion. He supports her. And when she says, you know, I think we should drive by, he says, OK, we can go. And he goes with her and he supports her in it, which is nice to see. It's nice to see that it's not one leading the other. They're friends and they work through things together.
1: Yeah, it's a, like it's um it's a duo. It's not leader and sidekick.
0: Yeah, which is nice. And I think for the time that this show was made, to have a male and female who have a strong friendship from the offset is quite nice to see. Yeah. And at least in this episode, there's no perception of girlfriend and boyfriend, or are they lovers, or anything like that. It's just, these are two people who are very comfortable with each other.
1: Yeah, exactly and another small thing I suppose as well is to you get the impression that Barbara would have gone irregardless of whether Ian would have gone with her so again in 1960 odd that's good to see as well
0: yeah and I do wonder if that's part of the reason why Ian went with her is because he may not agree with everything that she was saying but he knows she's gonna go anyway so <laughs> so he'll go with her
1: I don't want to be the one to explain to the headmaster why we have a new history teacher opening
0: yeah because that would be odd yeah it's a lovely introduction to those two and I'm thankful that that characterization Sydney seemed happy with it. <laughs> Having looked at the Doctor and the companions in this first unaired pilot, now we look at the story as a whole. Patty, how would you rate this unaired pilot of an unearthly child?
1: That's that's a tough one because like I'm trying to balance out, trying to keep it separate from what I know comes after. And in 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 doing that, if it had been, if this had been the way that the show had gone on, I'm not sure I would have stuck with it as long because the doctor, as you said, is very abrasive. Uh, so I would give it maybe a generous one point five because Ian and Barbara are the ones that kind of really sucked me into that I was really involved with in this one as opposed to Doctor Who, uh, the Doctor and Susan, because they go from being mysterious characters to, yeah, characters I I wish had stayed mysterious.
0: Yeah, I think, and for context, this is 1.5 out of 5, right?
1: Yes, that's correct, yeah.
0: (laughs) So my initial scoring of this, I gave it a 2. Yeah. For a variety of reasons, some of which you've already mentioned, the characterization of the Doctor and Susan is very jarring and try not to jump the timeline too much in terms of what we know they will be like if i had watched this as the first episode of classic who i probably wouldn't have watched the rest of it at least not of hartnell's era if this is the man that i was introduced to at the beginning i probably wouldn't have watched it the way i watched who in that i watched some of the newer episodes first then i went back to the end of part we start of tom baker and then i went back even further to this if this had been the very first episode i saw I probably would have given up on Hartnell there and then.
1: Yeah, because wasn't the first Hartnell one you ever watched like the Censorites or was it the Romans?
0: I think this was a long time or ago. Or was it the
1: Keys of Marinus?
0: It was the Keys of Marinus. Yeah. Which was good. And we'll obviously get to that in upcoming episodes. Which I liked. But I think had I watched this one first, I I wouldn't I wouldn't have bought into it at all. And I probably would have skipped him entirely. The thing with Susan Susan's portrayal is quite jarring. But, like I said, there are a few things in her alienness that I liked. I just didn't like all of it. In terms of the production as a whole, there's very little to discuss in this story as such. It has like two parts to it yeah. the bit in the school and the bit in the TARDIS. But again, some of the technical issues, you can't not see them. Some of the flubbed lines, you can't not see them. Again, Sydney Newman initially saw this as a program that would run for a year with this as its first episode. Regardless of characterization, which we've already discussed, in terms of technical output, I don't think it would have run for a year. So I'm, I'm glad that he made them go back and redo it.
1: As, as are millions of other people. Because yeah, again, in a day where like, pilots and half seasons weren't shot ahead of time, this was a pretty ballsy move by uh, Sydney, and but a ne- but a necessary move because I suppose it really speaks to him that he and again very Lambert that they felt such conviction for the show that they kind of put their jobs on the line to small of
0: In terms of should you go back and watch it, if you're a diehard Whovian. it's an interesting comparison. If you're a diehard Doctor Who fan, to see what could have been, but for a casual watcher. This is a hard pass. There's nothing in this for you. No. The characterization you get for the Doctor and Susan isn't going to be what you're going to see going forward. And the characterization of Ian and Barbara you're going to get in the episode that aired. This has no value. There's no significant story change or anything. So unless you're a diehard Whovian who's curious, I'd give it a hard pass.
1: Yeah, I'd do the exact same because it's just... When you know what's coming after, and again, I tr- you try not to bring it into your head when you're reviewing it as a separate entity. But when you know what's coming after, it's just a it's a quirky episode to watch as opposed to a must see. And like I know that so- some people would, would have said something like, very similar to me for Star Trek, you know, with the Cage and the Menagerie. But that's two different things. They actually are. They become two separate things. Whereas this. It's almost like a dark side of the, the episode and like you don't always need to investigate the dark side of something, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think comparing it to Star Trek, which obviously was also made in the 60s is probably a good way to go. The Cage was a pilot and the studio reviewed it and said, we want to change this, don't change that, don't change that. And then we got the Star Trek that we know Yeah. in the original series. This was a first run recording that they decided wasn't fit to be aired. It wasn't meant to be the BBC seeing what it could be and it wasn't meant to be playing around with things. It was, this is the script, this is how they shot it. That's not what we wanted. Do it again. If you would like to hear more about upcoming episodes and join in on the conversation, you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can email us at Team at
1: Join us next week when we'll be talking about the first story of Doctor Who and An Earthly Child. Bye for now.